You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Hearst Interactive Media Vice President Michael Dunn goes on the record online. You know, are they, are they staffing the technology team correctly so they're not overspending with resource? They're, they're, you know, where they can outsource something or where they can leverage a partnership, buy, partner, build sort of approach to things, you know, in that order, and, uh, and investing in their core intellectual property instead of, um, you know, trying to just have a non-invented here syndrome uh, uh, attention to to what they're creating and just say oh we're just going to create everything because that's that ends up wasting money and time and thank you for joining us for another episode of on the record online the podcast that brings you the story behind the story if you're a regular listener of the podcast welcome back if this is your first time uh listening this is the podcast where uh, we do interviews with uh, newsmakers and podcasters and bloggers and journalists from the mainstream media. Uh, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. I am your host, Eric Schwartzman, founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, we have a software platform uh, that's used by marketers to integrate the web into their marketing communications uh, public relations and promotions initiatives, and they use that uh, software platform to reach online audiences. Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one -on -one interview with Michael Dunn. He is the VP uh, with Hearst Interactive Media uh, on both venture and enterprise technology leadership. Uh, if you want to sell your company to Hearst and you're a new media company, he's the guy you're going to call. Uh, he uh, has a history uh, in the media. He was at Time Warner uh, and Coda and Dell Online. Uh, he also had senior technology roles at Turner Broadcasting, True North Communications, and Hanna-Barbera Studios. That's right. Uh, uh, what was that? That was Yogi Bear. Um we talked to him today, uh, well, we're including him as one of the uh, experts we're talking to about podcast measurement, uh, but uh, this interview, quite frankly, isn't uh, centered much on, on measurement. Uh, he talks quite a bit about um, how uh, Hearst is integrating uh, new media into their overall corporate infrastructure and how he's deciding what te technology plays make sense for, for them to hold. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, a couple of things I want to mention. The first is that he is going to be moderating a panel on print industry and podcasting at the Portable Media Expo and Podcast Expo. Uh, that is going to be in Ontario, California. It is September 29th and 30th. Uh, his uh, panel is going to be on Friday. Uh, I think it's uh, the first panel, uh, one of the first panels after the keynote. And you can get more information about that at www.org podcastexpo.com uh, if you wind up going to the expo I'll be doing a session on uh, uh, podcast measurement directly following that session 
Um, I think it's the 11.15 or the 11.30 time slot. But again, you can find that at www.podcastexpo.com. And now we're going to play for you the interview with uh, Michael Dunn. Uh, But before we do, I'm going to ask you to listen to this ad uh, about iPressroom first. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. So, uh, you know, my impression of, of the Hearst organization goes back to the movie Citizen Kane. <laughs> and, you know, there's that famous line in the beginning of Citizen Kane where they're showing the newsreel. They're trying to get together this newsreel of, of, of what this guy was all about uh, after he's passed away because it starts in the flashback. And there's that one line, I'll never forget it, uh, they're talking about what, what, what the holdings of the Hearst organization is and he says, uh, they say, a newspaper radio stations, forests, ocean liners, an empire upon an empire. <laughs> and and I'm looking here actually at some um at Hearst's holdings and it's true. I mean, you know, there's almost a dozen daily newspapers, um more than a half a dozen weekly newspapers, a couple dozen magazines, very well-known titles, magazine distribution, syndication and news, television broadcasting, cable and production. Uh, a number of different broadcast stations, radio broadcasters, uh, and cable television networks and services, and new media and properties. So, I mean, it, it's no lie. I mean, it, it really is just a, a sprawling empire. <laughs> and I was diversified actually diversified media company. And my big surprise was I had no idea that Hearst owned Sling Media. Well, we don't own them. We invested in them. I see. That's actually what our group does. It's one of the things our group does, but we do our corporate venturing. So we'll invest in companies like Sling Media and Bright Cove, uh, the, the news market, and um, companies like that, emerging media-based um, companies. And then we do large sort of corporate enterprise technology initiatives and emerging media. So I actually work on all three. We're, I'm part of a very small corporate group. Uh, that's dealing with, I guess, in general, emerging um, sorts of technology and media and and venturing. And the news market is also a company that you've invested in. Uh huh. Yep. Interesting. That's not on the list. Is that a, is that a newer investment? No. No. Let's see. It, it should be on the list on the website. It should be up there. Um, we also just recently invested in Sphere. Uh, it's a very cool uh, blogging-related uh-huh. site. And I don't have all of them memorized, but I do all the <clears throat> all of the um, technical due diligence on the on the companies we invest in. So I'll go in and talk to normally the CTO, and I'll ask them about their vision, how they how they develop their uh, strategy and then how they implement it via their operations and choice of technology. And the, the good side of this is I've got a fairly diverse background myself in technology, so I've been on the 
operational side of very big companies, but also worked with a lot of small companies. So it's the thing I always say, and uh, um, it's it's probably an easy thing for every technologist to understand is is you just can't. Um, I was going to use a swear word, but I won't pull the wool over a uh, another technologist's eye. Right. If if you've uh, if you build something at scale, you almost always are going to be able to tell if they're doing something right or wrong, and and be able to offer advice on that. So, and then I work with the companies after we invest in them to um, sort of as a as a resource to bounce ideas off of, and as they're looking to make decisions, and so I'm sort of a a canned consultant for them, I suppose. So now when you decide uh, what, what types of companies are appropriate from a, stri- from a strategic standpoint for Hearst to get uh-huh. behind, yep. I notice a lot of these companies are not necessarily media companies. Oh, no. They, they might be media-related. Um, we did an investment in, uh, in XM Radio a few years ago. You could, you could probably consider that a, um, a competitive investment. We definitely do those, so we'll... We'll invest in something that's that's competitive to our our core um, companies to learn about it, to get a seat at the table, and to, to in some ways hedge. Um, and in some areas, when something's really new, um, although we're not a early stage investor, um, we will um, invest to to learn about it and, and educate ourselves. Uh, at the same time, helping smaller companies. Now, I've got a lab sitting in the same room with me. You might hear him bark every once in a while. That's all right. That's all right. For that. he, he, I mean, our, our core is we talk us. about our... Huh? He's not bothering us. Yeah. So um, our core divisions, you know, the way we think about it, we've got newspapers, magazines, and our broadcast um, group, which is the only public group we have. Uh, the rest are private, and Hearst itself is private. Um, and then we've got our entertainment holdings, which are percentage of ownerships of things like um, ESPN and um, Lifetime A&E, things like that. Um, and then um, we've got a business media group that's sort of our group that focuses on data and, and uh, aggregating and selling of data to, to certain industries, automotive and health and things like that. And then our group, which is Interactive Media, which probably isn't the best name for it, but we do a lot of stuff. So we do all our venturing. We do our enterprise technology stuff, and then we're, we're probably the group that is the voice for emerging media and technology trends uh, inside the company. So now I know um, uh, you know you, you're you're not necessarily focused exclusively. Well, certainly not focused exclusively on podcast measurement. But uh, I'm interested in your point of view as you know, someone working for a, a, a major uh, a mainstream media company. Um, you, there seems to be a consensus out there that uh, the lack of standardized measurement is really what seems to be holding back uh, the growth of podcasting um, as an advertising ad-supported medium. Um, do you agree with that? Um, you know, it depends on what you're what you're looking for out of it. So, you know, I I have my sort of, I could put my corporate hat on, you know, working for a large media company, or I could put my emerging media technologist hat on, and and I was lucky enough to become involved and start commenting on and and 
just participating in the, what started you know as audio blogs and moved into podcasting at, really at its inception. Um, so I, I watched it grow from you know a handful of people up to the um, tens of thousand probably regular podcasters that are out there right now, um, and it it's still really early. Um, there are a lot of media companies, there are a lot of brands, traditional brands that are getting involved. And so I think what you're finding is a lot of them fall back or look to their traditional way of gauging um, what something should be worth and what an advertiser should pay uh, for whatever they're going to do, whether they're going to do some form of, you know, the, all the traditional ways, so traditional adver- advertising, contextual advertising, um, sponsorships, um, the different ways that they're going to look to um, sort of gauge their return on investment. You know, somebody wants to advertise, they want to know that they're going to reach a certain market or a certain type of market. Um, but really where it started and sort of where... Um, I probably have the most passion for it is more along the lines of what um, sort of changes we can see from podcasting in the in the non-traditional media sense. So the 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 niche people that are um, creating podcasts and you know for them a thousand subscribers you know is phenomenal. They're not really trying to monetize or maybe they're they're looking for a sponsor say which is probably the easiest way to do it to um, um, satisfy their monthly hosting cost or something like that and other than that they're just they're just uh, they've got a voice and they're creating something maybe it's their you know online way of um, of marketing themselves and their core business you know a, a lot of um, really good podcasters like Michael Gohagen is a good example and, and yourself actually um, that have consulting services along with what they're doing so it's a great marketing medium to get information out there and then there's another side of <clears throat> how they uh, make their living and that's it's just one channel they're using happens to be a very readily available um, way to get the information out there if you want to get into you know true measurement of uh, of podcasts you just start with you know how many how many people are downloading it well that's actually fairly traditional web measurement you know you're, you're measuring a piece of media that's coming from an IP range um, from an IP address to, to an IP range and referrers get involved and those sort of things have been going on since since um, early web when they're trying to figure out how to do banner advertising and how to calculate CPM and, and um, click-throughs and things like that. All stuff that, from a web perspective, are, are maturing. Um, but then you get into this media that is on somebody's... Um, yeah, I, Actually, when I was thinking about this, I wrote down um, what I might do with one podcast that I get. So I download it, so I'm counted via that. And I might actually download it to three or four different systems, depending on you know, how I have my podcatcher set up, whether I'm using iTunes or iPod or, or something like that. Um, so I might have it on that PC or multiple PCs. So that's multiple downloads. But then from one of those downloads, I might sync it to an iPod. I might 
push it to a cell phone. I might put it on my PSP. I might burn it to a CD or a DVD. Um, and I might even, if it's if it's good quality video, I might even push it through TiVo uh, onto my um, HD TV set and watch it through that, or listen to something through that because I want to listen to the you know speaker system in the background in in my um, in my den. Let's say those are all from one download, but I'm I'm putting it onto various devices. That today there's no way to measure that. There's no way to tell. Uh, unless you go to a pure, you know, DRM approach to something in a very proprietary closed system where there's some um, pingback that's occurring that says, hey, this person's listening to this. You know, they listened to it for five of the ten minutes and they paused. And, you know, the traditional way that you can do stuff through a constantly connected form of media. And today the whole beauty of podcasting is you're not connected. Right? You can take it wherever you want to go. You can play it in your in your time when you want to fill gaps, um, which is one of the reasons why I like almost everybody, you know, started this with putting it onto an MP3 player, whether it's an iPod or, or whatever, and could take it anywhere. So someone like me that's got a you know a 45 to 50 minute train ride into the into the city each day, um, it was great for me. I, I could listen to whatever. I wanted to, I get bored with just listening to music over and over, so I could listen to interesting people, I could listen to IT Conversations or, you know, Evil Genius Chronicles or something like that, and I'd be entertained and I'm filling, I'm sort of filling a void. Um, As this moves into cell phones, and once the the telcos or the uh, cell phone providers, the cell phone networks are able to either... um, create a compelling way to automatically have uh, uploads to a cell phone occur for for podcasts, not the sort of kludgy sort of uh, gatekeeper approach that they have today. Um, you, Eric, you put out a podcast, you know, in the middle of the week on a, on a you know, at noon on a, on a Wednesday, and I'm immediately, you know, notified on my cell phone, and I can decide whether I want to download it right then because I'm in a good network area or I want to, you know, have it do it in the middle of the night so it's ready the next morning. Well, that that's the premise of the original podcasters or podcatchers. And now you've everybody brings their cell phones with them everywhere. So one thing you probably, you know, your wallet and your cell phone are what you want to bring with you everywhere. And now you're stuck in a line somewhere or you're delayed somewhere. You've got your podcast ready right there either, you know, hopefully queued up into your you know, one gig SD card that's sitting in your cell phone or your smartphone. See, my dog agrees with me. And then uh, you're able to um, fill that fill that void. It's not meant to replace everything. You're not going to replace reading a newspaper if you do that, you know, on Sunday morning at a cafe or something, and you're not going to use it to replace, um, you know, watching your regular TV show that you religiously like to watch with your family. But you're, there are certain times in in the day and in your life when you're just going to want to have some different form of media consumption, and that that's where podcasting really is is interesting and compelling. And again, today there's not really an easy way to to measure and create a standardized form of metric around where you're going to use it, how you're going to use it, any of that stuff. So now, well, that was a long answer to your question. I'm going to ask you to take off the technologist hat and put on the diversified media techno uh i guess i guess you're you're sort of the guy leading the charge at this big 
mainstream media company, which is diversified, but which most of its holdings are uh, conventional, either print publishing or uh, news, electronic radio or television news. So, so from that perspective, what does wh- what's going to validate uh, these new media uh, uh, channels as a way of distributing information to to the meat from the media side? What does uh, you know a magazine need to see to know whether or not it's worthwhile to do a podcast? Um, h- how are these mainstream media concerns deciding? whether or not to integrate new media, and if so, how to do it? Um, I mean, we've, we've been doing it now. Like San Francisco Chronicle, we've been doing multiple podcasts out there since, you know, probably the early winter of, um, of 2005. So, you know, four or five months after podcasting really um, uh, became... You know, when it was in its in its infancy, let's say, if if you if you say, you know, when Adam started his first um, podcast, even before it was called podcasting, in August of 2004, and the SF Gate and the San Francisco Chronicle staff started putting podcasts out there of behind the scenes um, views of um, from a journalist, from a reporter, on how they went about creating an article that ran in the paper fantastic, you know, sort of back-channel information that a lot of people were interested in. Um, they didn't do it to create new revenue streams, although they definitely look towards the future where there are new revenue streams from this, but for them, they're in San Francisco. It's a, it's a very, uh, from a demographic standpoint, it's an early adopter community. Uh, it was a great way to get involved in the community and in a, in a direction that was occurring it was new media based and um, it was a great promotional tool uh, it definitely drove people to to traditional media um, and we look at it across all of our properties I mean today for TV um, broadcast stations create tons of media they're very good at the structure of creating a, an encapsulated news story doing all the research and putting it together and making it compelling and you want to be able to put that out in whatever format your audience would like to consume it in, whether it's a stream, which they've been doing for a long time, or whether it's something that uh, is accessible via some of the video, you know, the cell phone industry's video networks that are out there, or whether it's something that could be put out in a podcast. And these are all obviously um, great ideas, and and um, and you know, there's there's. A, a number. There's no shortage of wonderful explanations from a qualitative standpoint of why it makes sense to leverage new media um, if you're in the media business or if you're in some other business. But what what gets difficult is you know what's what are the numbers because so often these decisions are made based on the numbers. And you know when I spoke to Marcus Chan over at the Chronicle about how they got started over there. There was right. no big uh, idea where you know he came up with numbers and he got the buy-off. He told me they actually just started doing it on the sly, and then right. they got found out and called into the office, and they thought maybe they were going to get canned. And uh, and the powers that be said, no, this is great. Keep doing it. Last time I called over there, Benny Evangelista is now podcasting full-time. And uh, right. Right. a story that I had broke, uh, which you may have seen because I know you were at Seagraph, uh, about a, a new technology by Steve Perlman of Web TV called the Moba Contour. 
uh, I had called Benny because to give him the story to get him in on an embargo, and he said, "It's not me anymore. It's going to be Ellen Lee because uh, we are just podcasting now." Yeah, probably the scariest uh, email Marcus got in the early days of podcasting was from me because I'm a corporate guy in New York. And I was, you know, heavily involved in podcasting. I just happened to see what they were doing and subscribe to it and listen to it. And I just sent him an email from my corporate account, not from my online persona, and said, hey, you guys are doing really cool stuff. Keep it up. And uh, and if you're interested, here's my, you know, blog that I write on podcasting. And so that was uh, some probably some a little bit of a shock, but then I developed a, a friendship with Marcus and I'm Benny, and I followed those guys. And every time I'm out in the... Um, San Francisco area, which we have an investment in a number of companies out in that area. So I get out there usually a couple times a year. I stop in and, and see how they're doing. I've, I've even uh, posted some uh, pictures of their podcast studio up on my Flickr account just because uh, they've got a pretty neat setup. So now that and, they've done it, and now that they have sort of opened the uh, the, the floodgates at Hearst, um, are others pointing to them as an example of how to do it right? Or... Uh, are you guys looking at the kind of downloads they're getting or the traction they're getting as, uh, I guess, a sort of canary in the coal mine of whether or not to roll this out uh, wider throughout the, uh, the the company? No, I mean, it, big diversified media companies aren't normally like that. I mean, I another job I had was I was CTO at Time Warner, and one of my jobs was to uh, – it was actually interesting – yeah, introduce one of our business units to another one of our business units to expose them to something interesting they were doing that might be of interest to them. So, you know, you, you don't really have a scenario. We, we definitely create, you know, certain initiatives where we have a lot of collaboration across our various industries, but um, I definitely point to what the San Francisco Chronicle is doing Every time I'm talking to one of our other properties, like a TV station or you know corporate TV group or something like that, um, but today, you know, it, it's so early for that sort of discussion to talk about metrics and almost always. Think of it as the early days of the web. Almost always, a lot of these things are just the right thing to do from a um, demographic standpoint and from a promotional standpoint. And I'm actually probably the wrong person to talk to about, you know, the, the the size of the podcast and you know how large the audience is and as mass media as you can get because I the most compelling side for me is how how niche you can get, and I think you know for a a teen magazine or for a magazine that's focused on a current, certain demographic, you know they're going to get more and more niche as they go too, and they want to be able to create something that's going to say the right things for that um, for that demographic or for that market you know the one really compelling thing that podcasting does that um, I can't think of any other medium that really does this is it gives you direct access to subject matter experts without some form of without the requirement for somebody to um put it into some format for the consumer of that conversation or that topic. So I don't understand. You know, Explain that to me. Yeah, I, don't, I don't follow absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, you know, a journalist 
is going to create an article. So they're not an expert in what they're going to write about, but they're an expert in how to do the research, talk to all the right people, and put it into some form of media, whether it's text or a radio show or a TV show or a documentary or whatever, a film. And so they're going to gather all this information from a lot of subject matter experts, and they're going to put it together. There's a filter there. Podcasting, what it, what it did and what I really liked about it, especially early on, is, is subject matter expert in, in whatever, developer, um, somebody on search engine optimization, somebody on new media or you know, a, a online world like Second Life or something like that. So whatever subject matter expertise they have it in, they have an, a very simple and easy way to record it or videotape it themselves or, or blog about it, you know, post it into text, put it online for like-minded people, other SMEs or people that are interested in it to get it immediately and there's no filter there. There's nobody that has to, uh, you know, once they learn the basics, there's nobody that has to be in the middle of that saying, and what this person really wanted to say or, you know, what they said was this and they're, you know, they're always worried about you know, being misquoted when you're when you're uh, um, giving an interview, like to a, to a journalist, and that's one of the reasons why the the gate really likes some of that background, uh, the back channel or background type of podcast, because there's there's the real interview with the original source in their voice. That's the subject matter expert talking, and uh, you hear it direct. You hear it direct from. I, I call it SME or, or the subject matter expert. So does so, that make more sense? Yeah, it does. So, so you say what? What's most compelling to you is a niche uh, media site. Is is a site that delivers, I guess, on the needs of of an audience that is somehow uh, um, underserved. If that's the case, you know, uh, Hearst, well, the, the mass the mass media stuff is going to take care of itself, right? There's a there's a ton of there's a ton of um, folks out there that that's what they're going to, going to want to get. They're going to want to get the you know, the NPR type of audio shows or the the John Stewart Daily Show type of you know video podcast. And there's going to be a you know a, a ton of people that are going to want to get those, and they're already sort of known entities. But when you think about what can occur via the, the folks that can create the the further down the tail, the more niche sort of media, and and the fact that you know 50, 50 people out there in the world, because this is a global capability, can find and subscribe to something that's incredibly useful and interesting to them, that's created by somebody who has something to talk about and some expertise they want to go through and they're going to put it out there and there's there's tons and tons of those. I remember a lot of our properties, I'm speaking for myself as well as for what I do for a living, um, a lot of our properties deal with national types of media pr- production, you know, things that are produced for a national audience or a global audience or a regional audience or a highly local audience like newspapers and, and uh, TV stations. And podcasting plays in all four of those, global, national, regional, and, and local. And you can take niche sorts of content or niche sorts of themes um, across all of those, and there's a 
there's a ton of um, compelling things in those and those then that focus um, the other area that's incredibly interesting is what it's doing in, inside academia because the next generation consumes media in a totally different way from our generation or, or the previous generation they they want you know they want all their professors to have their presentation online if they can get it in you know the audio presentation of or the video presentation of their lecture they they want that to be accessible so that they can review it they can you know annotate it ask questions about it later it's just highly connected highly wired highly um, highly desirous of consumable media whenever wherever they want it and podcasting especially plays directly into that and you know you don't care about the the measurement of that, you care about the just the raw value of that. Although some schools may, you know, want to track IP addresses and make sure that, you know, they understand where the traffic's coming from, but that, that's slightly different than looking towards, you know, some mass numbers. When you are um, out there meeting with some of the other Hearst companies, uh, talking yep. to them about what's going on at uh, San Francisco Chronicle and perhaps uh, some of the other initiatives that are in place uh, at some of the more forward-looking uh, properties with respect to new media. Just on a general uh, level, can you give us, uh, I guess, a um, an overview, a summary of the types of reactions you're getting? Are, are people interested? Are they scared? Do they feel threatened? Uh, are they p- taking a wait-see uh, uh, type of... Uh, um, uh, how are people responding to you? Can you make any generalizations, or is it all over the map? Mm, it's I can make a few generalizations. I mean, almost everybody in any media company it doesn't just you know have to do with Hearst; has to do with any. I've got a lot of experience at Turner and Time Warner from previous jobs, and uh, also in the ad industry from previous jobs. And you know, the the folks I meet within my own organization um, are interested, excited, you know, they, they want to find out more about it. We have a lot of initiatives that are aimed at online um, empowering the work we're already doing for traditional media via online tools and mechanisms, whether it's podcasting or you know, social media or, or um, collaborative media blogging it's community-based, things like that. Um, you know, we just built a new um, tower in New York City. Um, and uh, so now we're all together in one location. So you go down to lunch in our in our cafeteria, which is in a big open atrium sort of area down on the, the, the base of the building. And so you see everybody that's especially based in either the corporate side of managing our divisions or, or magazine division, or people coming through visiting, you see them usually at lunch, and you run into people. Almost every lunch, when I'm you know don't eat in my office when I'm down in the cafeteria area, um, people come up to me and say, hey, "I've got this new you know thing I'm going to be talking about that's that's emerging media based, and I just want you to look it over. I just want you to see you know how this, what this, if this makes sense to you, because I'm about to pitch it to you know management, and uh, it's it's." Uh, a lot of excitement and, and passion for it, and especially for what it can do as um, that younger, you know, a lot of our magazines are focused on women, and women are huge online consumers of, of everything. It's a very high percentage, uh, and they want it. They want things to be online and available. They don't want it just in a 
you know, the tradition, they still want the traditional magazine they're getting, but then they want it extended via the web in whatever way we can. So I would say they're very excited. There's, there's definitely people out there that, you know, are threatened by it. The, the most common probably I've heard, and it's not just in our company, but when I go to conferences is, you know, the overuse of the monetization word. You know, even before you start, okay, well, how are we going to monetize this? Uh, that's a bad place to start. You first want to understand it. You first want to be able to be in the conversation and the monetizing it and how you how you create revenue streams from this has to come over time. You first have to get in and be involved. You can't just go right out of the gate and start charging for something because, frankly, online you'll have no credibility. So you've got to be out there and involved in it. And people will figure out ways to um, deal with the return on that original investment, whatever it costs to, to start it um, over time. Now, just as a final question, uh, for those sure. young companies that are looking to catch your eye, that are looking to yeah. uh, entice uh, Hearst to make a possible investment, uh, what words of wisdom do you have? <laughs> um, you know, for for us, it's it's got to be, we're, we're really interested in companies that are sort of within the media industry, this, so the sphere of the media industry, so, so related to what occurs within media. Uh, in general, um, you know, solid business model. We're, we're sort of a Series B, Series C sort of investor, um, so we're definitely not in the extremely early stages. You know, high risk type companies. Um, although all venturing is high risk, but you know, solid business model. You know, good attention to detail on where to put your investment. That this, the side I deal with a lot of times is the. Uh, you know, are they are they staffing the technology team correctly so they're not overspending with resource? They're they're you know where they can outsource something or where they can leverage a partnership. You know, um, buy partner build sort of approach to things. You know, in that order and uh, and investing in their core intellectual property instead of um, you know trying to just have a non-invented here syndrome. Uh, uh, attention to to what they're creating and just say oh we're just going to create everything because that's that ends up wasting money and time um the technologies they they choose um you know be smart about that don't don't buy you know a big oracle license on day one when you can put in a mysql environment for next to nothing you know scale over time as the revenues start coming in and have it um have it in a way that's easy for a you know, a group of um, business analysts and technical analysts to understand, so very structured. Um, and almost always, you know, we look to the management team. So, you know, I'll give you a good example. Brightcove, when we went and looked at them, um, Jeremy Allaire, you know, has started his company. His entire management team had built businesses before, including him, of course. They had a great vision. They were able to communicate it very clearly. They had you know, really good documentation on what they were doing and their, you know, sort of rollout of where they wanted to go with their products. And, boy, it was a pretty easy thing to understand and determine where the, you know, the valuation was. And it's, you know, it's basically Internet TV. So it's, um, you know, very cool stuff, easy to understand. Um, and you can sort of tell when somebody has put the attention into detail of how to, how to um, explain their company and then how to create, you know, explain how they are, have created their company, where their vision is, and then the nuts and bolts of how they're doing it. So it's all, I, I view that as sort of 
the rudimentary thing as a as a uh, VC or you know corporate VC that you want to see yeah, that they're just they've thought it through they understand how to approach someone that's going to basically invest in you and take a risk and go along with you. So. Michael Dunn, thanks so much for joining us. You bet, Eric. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.